Hello and welcome. This is Cameron Howell from Turning Point Sermons, and we are sure excited that you're here today. We have a special message for you today by Pastor Ryan Thompson uh, from a series called Second Generation Christianity, and the sermon's entitled, Beware. Generational faith. I believe that's God's plan. He wants us to pass our faith down, and we talked about it last week. Yes, biologically, I think that's God's plan for us. If God chooses to bless our homes with children, to pass that faith down and, and to rear up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but also spiritually. His plan is for every one of us as, as Christians to bear fruit. And we should have every Paul needs a Timothy and every Timothy needs a Paul. We should have some people in our lives that we are, as he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things, Timothy, that you've heard of me, Paul, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Four generations of faith being passed along. We ought not receive the gospel of grace and just keep it for ourselves for de- to ourselves for decades. We ought to be doing what we can to pass that on uh, through service, maybe through a Sunday school class, through witnessing, through outreach, through a bus ministry, through a missions conference, through giving to missions, through encouraging other Christians in our own home. All of those ways, sharing what we've been taught and sharing that with others. And so we're talking about second generation Christianity, and that is, as I mentioned last Sunday night, the desire for my family. Um, today, by God's grace, I, I'm a first-generation Christian. I didn't, wasn't born into the church. And, uh, but today, by God's grace, four generations of my family were in church today, Bible-preaching churches here in California. My desire for my family is that, that my children would choose uh, to embrace the faith of their fathers and, more importantly, the faith of God's Word. That they would choose to, I gave you the little three-part desire or mission statement, if you will, for me, that they would come to know Him. I have one that, that is even this week talking about salvation, we, has not yet made a, a decision of, of, of trusting Christ as Savior, but they would come to know Him, become Christians, and then they would come to love Him, where it just, wouldn't just be they grew up in a cultural Christianity, they grew up around Christianity for 18 years, but there comes a place for me, it was somewhere along my sophomore year in high school, where I got really serious about trying to know God and to, uh, personally and trying to, 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 to really... Uh, make him my friend and not just kind of the thing that our family does and they would they would come to know God they would love him and then live for him for a lifetime whatever that means whatever God's plan and God's will is that's my prayer for my kids and I believe you're here back on a Sunday night after you were at church on Sunday morning if you have children in your home undoubtedly that's your prayer for your children that's my prayer for those in our children's ministry and in our youth group and and in our nurseries tonight that there would raise up another generation that would come to know God to love God and to live for him for a lifetime I told you last week that each week the title of the message will be a one-word verb and last week, our, I, I preached the entire message, and it spent about five minutes at the end on the message. It was all leading up to that. And the, the one-word verb, this has been a long time ago. You've had a lot happen in the last seven days. I'll give you a hint. It started with the, the letter R. Does anybody remember second-generation Christianity, the challenge to those who have been brought up in Christianity? You might be 80 years old, but you were brought up in a Christian home, or you've been saved for decades. The challenge to all of us, I'm giving you a chance to turn back in your notes to see what the title was. Jump online and check the archive real fast. Anybody remember out there? This could be really discouraging. Anybody remember the title last week? Rejoice. A few of you remembered. We talked about rejoice. The Bible says when you're going to enter into this land, there's wells you didn't dig. There's houses you didn't build. 
There are, there are vineyards you didn't plant that you're going to enjoy. And I, I gave the uh, uh, illustration or application. If, if you were brought into, if God blessed you to be born into a Christian family, you have been given some things that many others never had. And if you're not careful, we can despise that. Why, why wasn't I born into that family? Why did I have to be born? My, my family goes to church all day on Sunday. Why did I have to be born into that church? And why can't I watch that? And why can't I listen to that? And why can't I date that person? And how come I don't get to try that? What it seems like all the other teenagers, and a lot of times it's in those teen years, those college years where some of these struggles, these battles can be, and we can despise, we can despise the fact that, that I was brought up in a Christian home. And, and I challenged it's a great blessing. Why? Because if you were born into a Christian family, you're enjoying some things that, that you didn't, that your, your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents, that they, because of their decision to follow Christ, they passed down to you. You were given, we might say, a great head start. You know that's true of a second generation in anything? Anybody that's second generation in any area is given a great head start above those that are kind of carving their own path, figuring it out for themselves. Take the area of athletics. How many now in, 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 uh, in, in pro professional athlete, uh, leagues, sports leagues right now, how many of them grew up where their dad or their mom or their uncle or somebody in their immediate family or brother was already a professional athlete and they grew up around it? doesn't mean just because your parents are a pro professional athlete, you're going to be a professional athlete. But I would say for those often that grew up in that, if that's the path they're they were given a head start. Some of it was just a DNA genetic head start. They were, they're going to end up a lot taller or a lot bigger or a lot stronger than my kids are, right? And, uh, but some of it, they grew up around it, and they, they got to learn some things. Why? Because their dad had carved that path, had been through that. Uh, I have a picture here. Anybody know who this is? Picture there. Show that right there. He's a good man, and it's good to see his face again. Anybody know who that is? That is the 49ers head coach. He had a rough last game, but other than, or really last quarter only. But other than that, he had a great season. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan. Show a picture of him as a kid. Here he is with his Florida Gators uniform on. Kyle Shanahan, his dad, was an NFL head coach. Well, guess what? Because of the fact that he was a second generation in a football family, what happened? He grew up around the NFL. He was a ball boy in, in his elementary, junior, high age years. A ball boy for the 49ers. Isn't that crazy? Ball boy, then this year a head coach, taking them to the Super Bowl. And, and uh, he had, as growing up in the home of an NFL head coach, guess what? He had a head start into the coaching profession, understanding some things, learning some things, seeing some things, understanding how that industry works that I would have never understood that my kids would not understand. Now, that's not going to guarantee he'd be a good NFL head coach, just like my kids being born into a Christian home doesn't guarantee they're going to choose Christ doesn't guarantee they're going to come to know Christ as Savior or live for Him for a lifetime. But there is a head start there. There is a head start of they're hearing the gospel on a daily or weekly basis. They, they're growing up in a Christian school. They're going to Sunday school weekly. We have a picture of Kyle as a little older as an assistant coach for his dad. And you can see him. He's a little younger. Notice that. What is this? As a, a young guy right out of college, played some college football, he's got a successful head coach as a dad that he has access to any time that's showing him, here's what works, here's what doesn't work, here's what I've learned, here's, I've been at this thing for several decades. I would suggest to you that very likely, Kyle Shanahan never becomes the super, uh, head coach of the 49ers coaching in the Super Bowl of the NFL if he was not born into 
a head coach's family, or at least without the work and investment and mentoring of his father. And then we have a picture, I think it was this year after the NFC Championship game, where now the roles are reversed. Dad is retired, and now son has become the head coach, and, and he's enjoying all the things that he learned. Many times, children that grow up on the mission field, they often return back to the mission field to give their lives to serve as missionaries. Why? Not because they're forced to, but they saw some things that you and I have never seen. They maybe got a burden that you and I never got. They learned a language that we never learned. They were given a head start because they were second generation. Sometimes those that grow up in a ministry family or a pastor's children, they'll often sometimes enter the ministry themselves. Doesn't mean they have to. Doesn't mean that's God's plan for every one of them. But, but what is it? There are some things that if you grow up in a family like that, you just naturally learn you're given. And the same is true. Restaurant owners will pass down their knowledge to their kids. If you have a family business, often children will excel in the same business as their parents. Not always. And, and sometimes they'll go much farther in that business than their parents ever did. Why? Because they were given a head start. They learned some things by the time they were graduating from college that it took their mom or dad till age 30, 40, 50 to learn. And the same is true in Christianity. But yet, if we're not careful, we view that head start as it's, we despise it. Why, why did I have to grow up? And, and last week's message was simply this, rejoice rejoice on the, in the fact if you were born into a Christian family rejoice tonight we look at one of the dangers or challenges of being a second or third or fourth or fifth generation Christian really I could say this it's really the danger for any of us that have been saved for any length of time not just second it could be a first generation Christian anybody that's been saved for any length of time we're going to look at a danger tonight we pick up our text in Deuteronomy chapter number six where we were last week and and a reminder as we're here this book was not written to the church this book was not written to christians this book was written to israelites this is not a book written to christian as, as sammy just said is a new testament term it was written to israelites and uh, we said last week deuteronomy the name it comes from the greek words two greek words deuteros which means second and, and nomos, which means law, the second law, literally the law that God had given the Israelites in Exodus, he's now giving to a new generation because their dads showed a lack of faith, a generation was lost, wandering in the wilderness, now they're about to enter the promised land of Canaan, so Moses is giving the law again to another generation, he's trying to raise up another generation of Israelites to fulfill God's plan for them, and so I, I, I don't think, I pray that I'm not taking uh, uh, liberties that I shouldn't with scripture, this is not not written to the local church it's written to Israel but I do think all throughout the Old Testament there are things that we can learn there are applications about the nature of God about the way that God dealt with his people about the teachings of God there are pictures you go to the Old Testament with Israel and and even though the death of the Passover putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost was something specifically for Israel it's a picture of something that we apply to our lives that, that death of the firstborn pictures the blood sacrifice that we put upon the doorposts of our heart to have the death angel. And the redemption of the children of Israel out of Egypt is a picture of our redemption out of the world. As you study the Israelites, I think you can look and see how did God deal with his people and make some applications about the nature of God. When we talk about Egypt in, in Old Testament times, Egypt is a picture of the world. 
The ten plagues and the deliverance of Egypt is a picture of redemption. You'll even see it in the New Testament referred back to in that way. When they wandered in the wilderness, that was a picture of those that had been delivered, but they lacked faith to follow God. We can apply that to our lives. We will wander in our lives if we're not willing to take God at his word and trust him. We look at Canaan, and I told you last week, sometimes songs will talk about, I can't wait to Canaan land, and talking about Canaan as heaven. I don't believe that Canaan is a picture of heaven. To me, as I study it, Canaan is a picture of victorious Christian living as we apply it to our lives. It's that, that, that life that God has prepared for us if we'll trust him and we'll follow his leading. And so we pick this up this morning, or this evening, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 6. By way of introduction, let's just read where we were last week, beginning in verse number 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou, notice this, and what church? And thy, and thy sons, what? Three generations, generational faith. All the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, one Lord. And isn't this interesting? We often think of the Old Testament as law, the New Testament as grace. The same thing that should drive the Christian is what God wanted to drive his people. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. What, we, what Jesus called the great commandment was still the great commandment to the Israelites. Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Here it is. Notice verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Again, generational faith. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. He kind of covered all the bases. When you're sitting around at home, when you're out and about in the, in the city, when you get up in the morning, and when you go to bed at night. I want you teaching, passing these things down to your children. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. Houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig you didn't dig, and vineyards and all the trees you didn't plant, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. And now would you read verse 12 aloud with me. Chapter 6, verse 12. Ready? begin then beware lest thou forget the lord which brought thee forth out of the land of egypt from the house of bondage when you get there here's the challenge here's the one word verb last week rejoice second generation christian third generation christian fourth fifth you've been saved five ten fifteen twenty years here's the challenge what did he tell them Another generation's coming up, and you're going to go enjoy a lot of things God has planned for you. And it's things you didn't do. It's things that others did generations before you did. Here's the challenge. Here's the verb. Beware. Watch out. Be on guard. Understand the danger of, of, of enjoying the goodness of God, the redemption that you weren't a part of. Now, I'm not talking about our salvation, but that deliverance, that Egypt. Beware, and notice what it says. What is the danger for, for this generation? The danger is lest thou forget 
the Lord. Beware of what? Beware of forgetting the danger of enjoying these things that that you weren't necessarily a a part of. The danger of all of that. You and I didn't sacrifice for this building and we we, we weren't here when this church was planted in 1976 and we weren't there. And if we're not careful, we can take for granted all the blessings that God has given to us. You grow up in a church your entire life. You grew up in a Christian family your entire life. You see mom and dad reading their Bibles or praying. They they maybe put you in a Christian school or they they train you in the ways they have you at teen camp and they have you in Sunday school. And if you're not careful, it just becomes old hat. And he said, you need to be careful you don't forget. Flip, if you will, over to chapter number 8. I want you to see it. He continues on with this warning. This must be a pretty important thing. Notice uh, chapter 8, verse number 2. Chapter 8, verse number 2. He said, and thou shalt, chapter 8, verse 2, thou shalt what? Remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or not. You need to remember all the lessons God taught you while you wandered in the wilderness. By the way, there's a whole bunch of them that are getting this law that were young. They were teenagers. They, didn't, they weren't in the wilderness for 40 years. They were born out in the wilderness. Verse number 11, skip down, chapter 8, verse 11. Look what he says. Beware, see that word again? Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, you're not wandering in the barren desert anymore. You're sitting in a beautiful church. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm applying it to our lives. You're enjoying the blessings of a family and you're enjoying these things. When you've done, you, you, and you dwelt therein, your, your flocks and herds multiply. Your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Verse 14, then thine heart be lifted up. And notice what it says. What's the danger? Thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water. But what did he do? He brought you water out of the rock of flint. He fed you in the wilderness with what? With a miraculous daily provision of manna, which your fathers knew not. They didn't know anything of that miraculous provision, but you do, that he might humble you and he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth but thou shalt what's the word there in verse 18 thou shalt what church remember the lord thy god for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day and it shall be if thou do it all forget the lord thy god and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them i testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish as the nations which the lord destroyeth before your face so shall ye perish because ye would not be obedient to the voice of the lord your god you can go back to chapter number six what is he saying he's saying to this new generation you've got to be careful there's a danger to this new generation that's coming up because of all the blessings because of all that you've been given you're not wandering in the wilderness anymore you you, you're not in slavery and bondage in egypt anymore there's a danger as you're there to forget 
to forget God, to forget all that God's done, to forget who God is, to forget what he did a generation or two or three ago in your family. By the way, their, their grandpa or, or, or mom, their dad, their great-grandpa or great-grandpa, they didn't forget what it was like. Well, some of them did actually, but they didn't forget what it was like in Egypt. They remembered when the plagues came. They remembered the taskmaster that Pharaoh was. They remember how they cried out to God and God raised up Moses, a miraculous deliverer, a type of Christ, and he came and, and God used Moses to speak boldly to Pharaoh they remembered that but there was a danger to the new generation to forget what's the danger of being brought up and this doesn't mean well am I am I wrong no we started last week you've been given a head start you've been blessed with much if you've been around scripture and God and his word all your life there's nothing wrong with you in fact you've been given a head start that some that were saved at age 20 or 30 or 40 were never given and wished that they had but with that blessing of that head start, if you will, comes a danger that you can just forget how good it is. Forget what? Notice what, what I'm, I'm going to pull out just a few thoughts from this passage. What was the danger of them forgetting? I see in verse 12, number one, to forget how good God is. Then beware lest thou forget, verse 12 of chapter 6, lest thou forget who? The Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. That, that song, it's why I said that song goes right along. I'm going to praise him for all he's done. You know, if you've been saved for any length of time, it's easy to grow accustomed to the blessings of God. To forget the Lord, forget how good he is. And like he warned them, look at what I've built with my own hands. Look at the family that I've raised. Look at the marriage that I have. Look at the career that I've built. Look at, look at all these things. And it's easy to forget. But for the grace of God, we wouldn't be anything. That we are, as Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And we can forget the Lord our God and start to say, look at what I built. Look at the house that I built. Look at the life that I built. And look at how smart I am. And look at what I've done. And look at what we've done. Look how successful our church is or whatever it might be. It's, it's not about us. And he said, beware. If you've enjoyed God's blessings for any length of time, you've enjoyed God's goodness, you've enjoyed God's mercy, you've enjoyed God's grace for any length of time, beware lest you forget the Lord. We can forget how good God is. We forget his mercy. We forget his forgiveness. We forget his grace. We forget what it was like before we were saved. Why? Because for some of us, that was when we were three, four, five years old if we were brought up in the church. And so it's easy to forget and just say, well, this is just the life that everybody lives. Oh, no. It's not the life that everybody lives or enjoys. We, we, we forget the, the way that he set our feet on a solid rock and the way that he, he brought our family out maybe a generation ago or two or three or four or five and we forget all that he's done. Liberty Baptist Church, have you forgotten how good God has been in your life? And we start to, if we're not careful, we forget all the blessings and we focus on the one thing, God, you didn't answer that prayer. God, you didn't give me that. What happened there? And we start to become like the spoiled brat kids that, that mom and dad give them everything. And they whine and cry because mom and dad won't buy them the one toy they want. Mom and dad say, no, you got to go work for the PS5 when it comes out later this year. I'm not going to buy you the 500. And they start, well, everybody else. Has. And we start to become that petulant child with God because he's given us so much. All of a sudden we become the spoiled brats and we forget how good God is. You know what's a good indicator that we've forgotten how good God is and who he is? As it says, beware lest you forget the Lord. A good indicator of that is how's our prayer life? 
How's our relationship with God's word and and attendance to church? How's our relationship with, with serving him? When we remember who he is and who we really are, it leads us to bow to him in worship. I'm nothing, you're everything. You're clean, I'm unclean. Remember Isaiah, when he got a taste and a view and a picture of who God was? What did he say? I'm nobody. What did Paul say? Oh, wretched man that I am. They, they remember who they are and who he is. Sometimes we forget. We get lifted up, as it said, we read in chapter 8. We get lifted up in pride, don't we? Look at how good I am. Look at how much I've grown. Look at what a good Christian I am. Look at all I've done. Look at my family. Look at, oh no, beware. Said it twice, six and eight. Beware, watch out, be on guard, lest you forget the Lord your God. Verse number 13, follow along if you will. Chapter six, verse 13. He says, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. When you're enjoying the blessings of God, it's a danger to look to the culture around us and say, maybe that's the life I want to live. Verse 15, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee and thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with thee that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to cast out all thine enemies from before thee as the Lord hath spoken and i want you to see now would you read verse number 20 aloud with me chapter 6 verse 20 ready begin and when thy son asketh thee in time to come saying what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the lord our god hath commanded you you know what that shows me those that are enjoying the blessings the blessings of generational faith the blessings of canaan the blessings, if we could apply it this way today, of growing up in a Christian home, they can forget and miss and not understand the importance of the commandments and the statutes in their lives. And it said, when you get there and your kids ask you, what's the big deal about all this? What, what's, what, what, your son asks you in time, what mean the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments the Lord has commanded? What's, what's the big deal about all of this stuff that God gave us and told us to do and, and, and showed us how to live? Notice what it says, verse number 21. Notice this. Then shalt thou say unto thy son, here's what you say, we were, who were we church? We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. What, what does he say here? What's the danger? Not only do we forget how good it is, but second, third, fourth generation Christians, even Christians that have been saved for a couple of decades maybe, we can forget how bad Egypt was. We can forget how bad Egypt was. Some people forget how bad it was because they never lived in it. They, they weren't ever in bondage. Now, they might have lived in it as far as we live in the world, but never were in bondage to, to, to Egypt, that picture of the world, that taskmaster of sin, that, that, that the world system. And he said, when your kids, you're trying to pass this down to your children, and they say, what's the big deal about all of that stuff? You need to remind them. You need to let them know how bad it was in Egypt. Because the danger is, and by the way, it's not just a danger for the second or third or fourth generation Christian, the first generation that was delivered out of Egypt, what happened to them after they got out for a little while and, and, and things didn't quite go their way as they walked for God? What did they say? They looked back and said, I wish we never left Egypt. You've been saved for any length of time. We can forget how bad Egypt was. 
I told you a little of my testimony last week, but my mom, and, and again, she listened. She told me this afternoon. She was listening to last Sunday night's message today. So whenever she listens, hi again, mom. You, 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 she was a great mom. She was, did her best as a single mom. She was in her 20s, raising a little guy by herself, working one and two jobs and overtime and all of that. But I can remember just a taste of Egypt. I got saved at the age of nine and a half. But I remember those days where there were times where there, were, there was alcohol in our home and the effects of some of that and there were maybe some different boyfriends and some different things and I, I can remember some of those things. I wasn't in Egypt for too long but I was in long enough to know that it's a whole lot better following God than it was back in Egypt. It's a whole lot. I remember how God saved us and he delivered us and he began to change her and he began to change me and began to change things in our hearts and change things in our lives and all of a sudden I knew the love of a church family that I never knew before and I had some Sunday school teachers teaching me the love of God. I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew no Bible stories and now I'm learning about the love of Christ and, and I had some teachers that invested in me and a youth pastor that would invest in me as a young man and, and coaches that would, uh, a coach that taught me how to drive stick shift and a, another another man in the church that taught me how to polish shoes and another man in the church that taught me how to tie a tie and I had people in my life that were teaching me things and loving and showing and caring for me in ways that I had never experienced back in Egypt but you know and this is not to their shame this is this is to the glory and the grace of God my kids know nothing about living in a home where mom and dad are screaming and swearing at each other my kids know nothing about, about not, not that we're a perfect home, not that I've never lost my temper at home, not that I've never handled a situation wrongly with my kids. That's not what I'm saying. But they know nothing about a, a home. They've never seen a drop of alcohol a day in their life in our homes. That doesn't make us better than anyone. I'm just saying God did some things in our own lives, changed some things in our lives, and my children, but you know there's a danger? They don't realize how bad Egypt is. They don't realize the bondage that it was like for mom and for dad and for grandma and for grandpa and great-grandma and great-grandpa back there in Egypt. And what did he say here? He said, you need to make sure when your kids ask you, what's the big deal about why do I have to do that and why can't I do that and why can't I go there? Why don't you let me do that? And why do we have all these rules, rules, rules? And the Christian life is not a life of rules. It's a relationship. But there are commands in Scripture. And why can't I do what everybody else does? You need to remind them because that's going to lead to heartache and to scars and to regrets. And that'll destroy your life. And if you get addicted to that, it could sabotage your, your ability to have a healthy marriage in the future. And if you get addicted to that it could sabotage your ability to be a, a faithful worker and, and to build a career and a job that's something that will land you in jail and that's something that will land you in heartache and in regret and and you'll have all these things and you remind them he said remind them we were pharaoh's bondmen we forget how bad egypt was we were in slavery. Life was miserable. We were hungry. We had no purpose. We were exhausted. We were exasperated. Egypt was a life of bondage. Egypt is a life of pain. It's a life of never-ending toil and labor, but never accomplishing anything significant. In Egypt, you wake up empty, and you go to bed empty. In Egypt, you live for the weekend, and you go out on Friday night, and you try to find some pleasure and something to fill that hole that's in your heart and in your soul, and you wake up Saturday morning wondering what you did on Friday night with a headache and a hangover and, and eat in Egypt you wake up every morning empty and you go to bed empty your life is pointless and miserable and that was that's what it that, that's what was back in Egypt before God delivered us Christian second generation Christian first generation Christian that's been saved a while have you forgotten how bad Egypt was 
How you are constantly searching for something to fulfill you, but always coming up empty. Because when we forget how bad Egypt was, we start thinking maybe life is better over there. Teenagers growing up in the church, I wonder what it's like over there. I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder what that feels like. I wonder how much fun that is. I wonder what it would be like to try that. And he said, beware. And when they ask you, why are you making such a big deal about the commands and the statutes and the judgments? Remind them, we were Pharaoh's bondmen. God brought us out. It wasn't good back there, and God's trying to prepare himself a people for his glory, for a place that he's prepared for us, that he wants to lead us and remind them the life that we lived back there. By the way, God's people were never supposed to be in Egypt, by the way. God's people were never supposed to be in Egypt. They were in Egypt because they got jealous and sold one of their brothers into slavery. Remember that? They, they sold Joseph into slavery, and what happened? God raised Joseph up, and because of that, the brothers in the midst of famine came, and Egypt was pretty good for a little while, but there, there, there arose another that knew not Joseph. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of those that had sold their brother into slavery were now living in bondage. God never intended for his people to live in Egypt. They ended up there because of the jealousy and the sin of the, of the brothers of Joseph. Now, of course, God used it for his glory and in his providence. Uh, it was, he, he used all of that. But God did not prepare Egypt for his people. And he said, you'll forget, beware lest you forget how bad Egypt was. Talk to me. Beware lest we forget how good God is and beware lest we forget how bad what Egypt was. Number three, what do I see here? Beware lest you forget how good you have it. It was a little bit along with the first point, but notice the second half of verse 21. When your kids ask you, what's the big deal about all this stuff? Then shalt thou say unto thy son, we were, I like that word, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. He brought us out. But, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a what church? With a mighty hand. Verse 22, And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before his eyes. He said, don't, don't forget how good God's been and don't forget how good we have it today. We were in bondage in Egypt, but we're not there anymore. Now we're in Canaan. By the way, this, he's talking to them about future when you get to this place in Canaan. Now we're in Canaan and, and I can say to, to my kids, hey, we were in Egypt, but Grandma Bobby's not addicted to alcohol anymore and there's no marijuana anywhere in the house any longer and there's not fighting and screaming and swearing and and people getting mad at each other there's not all the effects of sin and there's not the heartache and wondering what what is God doing in our lives and where are we going and and that animosity and that bitterness from maybe son to mom or mom to son or son to stepdad that's not there anymore or that boyfriend or whatever it might have been God brought us out with a mighty hand and he showed us signs and wonders and he gave grandma Bobby some victory and he gave your dad some victory as a teen boy over some things that he was struggling with and God showed us signs and wonders don't forget how good we have it here in Canaan what does he say there he says tell your sons do you guys remember the 10 plagues of course you don't you weren't there but let me tell you all about it Mighty signs and wonders. Do you remember the Passover lamb and the death of the firstborn? Remember the day of your salvation? Do you remember the Red Sea crossing? The daily manna, the water from the rock? These miraculous blessings we can start to take for granted. God's daily provision in our lives. 
we forget God's blessing and how good we have it today. Even, even, again, even a first-generation Christian. That first generation that got delivered out of Egypt, they had the same problem. They wanted to go back. We used to love going to church and opening God's word. We couldn't wait to learn more and grow more and serve more. Now we dutifully trudge through weekly services. That can happen to a pastor. That can happen to a pastor's wife. That can happen to a, 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 a third, fourth, fifth generation. That can happen to a pastor's kids. That can happen to Sunday school teachers. That can happen to Christian servants. That can happen to any of us. Why? We forget how good God's been. All of a sudden, this just becomes a duty. I do this because I have to. No, I do this. I get to serve God. I, I get to talk to God. I saw uh, Pastor Skelly. He put something on, and I, I should have pulled it up this week on social media. But he said, if we really believed we could talk to the creator of the universe, we would. A lot. But we start to, we forget how good we have it, that we have access to the throne of God. We can come boldly at any time and, and cast our care upon him. Now we dutifully trudge through these weekly services. We rarely crack our Bibles during the week. We're so busy, we have no time left for Christian service of any kind. Do you remember and do I remember when the Holy Spirit used to convict you during church when you heard preaching? When was the last time you spent a season in prayer and a tear escaped your eye? When was the last time you heard somebody preach the, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit convicted you and either encouraged you and showed you great love and comfort and you began to weep, I can't believe that God loves me so much, or maybe it was conviction, God, I've failed you here, and, and Lord, help me in your strength to, to, to work on this and to get this better. We just grow cold and complacent and forget how good we have it. Most of us have multiple copies of God's Word in our lives and in our homes. How often do we crack them? There are people around the world that would do anything to have a copy of, of a book of the Bible or a New Testament or an Old Testament. We forget how good we have it, don't we? What did he say? When your kids don't understand that danger, they begin to forget. What do you, what do, you do? You remember how bad it was in Egypt, but you remember how good it is in Canaan. You can lose sight of it. Beware. Beware. When you're enjoying the blessings of God, the danger is you start taking it for granted. You start forgetting how good God is. You start, yeah, of course I have 10 Bibles. I don't read any of them. Oh yeah, we have three services a week at church. All that. There are some places that they would love to have someone that would open God's word and share the scriptures with them and, and they don't have access to internet. They don't, and we don't think that that's true, but that's across our world. There are places like that and we have that access and it's like, ah, you know what? My favorite show's on tonight. I'll go to church next week. And I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt you into, into anything. I want you to do what you do because you love God and you want to serve him. But I want us to take inventory are we living our christian lives because we have to have we forgotten what it was like back in egypt and he brought us out with a mighty hand he showed great signs and wonders the work that he did in our lives and in our family's lives have we lost the wonder of it all as the psalmist said restore unto me the joy of thy salvation what does that show me he had lost the joy of his salvation have you lost the joy of what it means to be saved Teenager, 6th grader, 7th grader, 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, 11th grader, 12th grader. Oh, you go to youth conference because we, we, we have, the, they have the roller coasters. And, but, but when the word of God is opened, you have no interest. Have you forgotten? What's the big deal about the commandments and the statutes? Have you forgotten how good God has been to you? Beware. It's a danger. 
You graduate and you've already got plans. I don't want to have anything to do with God. I'm out of here. My parents made me go. This isn't a thing about I've got to do this for my parents. No, there's a God that delivered you with a strong and mighty hand. He sent his only begotten son to die for you. He lived a sinless life for you. Have you forgotten the strong and mighty hand that in all of the sacrifice and the love and the pain and the beatings that it took to save your soul and to forgive your sins? And we treat it so flippantly. We forget how good we have it, don't we? We take His forgiveness for granted. We take His mercy for granted. We take His love for granted. We think we somehow deserve all of this. We take His blessings for granted. We take His word for granted. We take His people as a church family for granted. God's been mighty good to us, church, for all He's done. We have so many blessings, yet we recognize and appreciate so few of them. He said, I want you to tell your kids how good your God has been, and how good you have it. Proverbs says, the, the, uh, Solomon said in Proverbs, he said, Proverbs 27, the full soul loatheth and honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. The full soul loatheth the honeycomb. What is honeycomb? In those days it would have been a treat, it would have been like a dessert, it would have been a sweet, a candy. Those things that we're naturally kind of attracted to, we want to eat. The full soul, when you're full, and he, he likens it spiritual there, the soul, but when you're full, if you're full, it doesn't matter if you have your favorite restaurant, the favorite meal that, you're, that you love, the favorite dish, whatever it is. You go, you go grocery shopping when you're full, or somebody puts a meal before you when you're full. You, I can't, what do we say? I can't eat another bite. No, I can't, I can't do it. I don't want any more. It doesn't matter how good. We could put a, a, a $500 piece of Kobe beef that was flown in from Japan, and if you're truly full, you, I, I'd love to eat it, but I can't. It doesn't matter how good something is. If you're full, you have no appreciation for it. But, the, but it said there in the second half, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Even eating something that you would never want to eat when you're starving. And the Bible says, blessed are ye that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. We've gotten so full on God's blessings that we have no desire for these things. And, and look at all that God's done here. And we've grown cold and complacent. Oh, I can't eat another bite. I don't need any more of that word. I don't need any more of God's work in my life. I, I don't need that. When all we've known is the blessing of God, it's so easy to not appreciate it. I heard one pastor say it's hard to appreciate steak when you eat it every day. I, for one, would like to test that theory out and see if it's true. It's hard to appreciate steak when you eat it every day. If you're full, it doesn't matter how good something is. It doesn't sound good. If you're hungry, it doesn't matter how bad something is. You'll consider eating it. Our family, we were watching a survival show. One of these shows where people go out and try to live and whatever out in the, in the woods and they only have a few things. And we were watching one of these survival shows and these people had gone like a week or two with only eating like one fish or something. And it was some of the most disgusting stuff. They, all of a sudden, this, they're out here and they set this trap and they caught a mouse. Most of us, if we were to catch a mouse, we would be fighting over who had to go pick it up and throw it away. I'm not touching it. Oh, you get it. No, call, call the city. Break them down here. I'm not doing that. Figure that out. I'm not, I'm not touching. Nobody wants. And they caught a mouse. They woke up in the morning, went out to their little trap, and there was a mouse this size out there in their little trap. And you know what? They, they started screaming at the top of their lungs. Oh, and life was, oh, man, look at this. I caught him. And they're holding it up. I caught a mouse. I got a mouse. Oh, I can't wait. And they skinned the mouse on TV there. 
they made a little mouse skewer on a stick and put it over the grill, over the fire. And then, this, is, this tastes so good, this is the greatest thing ever, and they start, to, they start to eat this two bites of mouse meat. There's not one person today, not one of us, will go home. It doesn't matter. Maybe if I paid you enough, some of you might consider it, but none of you would be excited about going home to eat a mouse tonight. And, and none of us. I don't, anybody have mouse Sunday dinner? You had mouse this afternoon? None of us. But you know what? When you're hungry, the smallest blessing is the biggest thing. And some of us have gotten so full in God's blessings in our lives. And, and often second generation Christians or Christians who have enjoyed the goodness of God for a while, we can grow cold and complacent. Beware, beware, be on guard, danger, watch out. It's a danger. We can grow cold and complacent. Sometimes second-generation Christians, that's what happens. Sometimes first-generation Christians or people who just got saved, they're hungry for more. Sometimes those that just got saved will say, uh, how can I grow closer to God? And those that have been saved for a while will say, what's so wrong with the world? Those that want that have just been saved, a new Christian, that they're like, are, are there more church services I can come to? I know you said you got something on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. What about Monday? What are you guys doing Monday? i got to come down Monday. Can we do anything on Tuesday? What's going on Thursday? What, I, I got to learn more. Tell me what to read. What book should I read? What, what, what chapter of the Bible? You tell me what to do. I want, and, and they've got that hunger. But those that have been saved for a little while, should we go back tonight? Did, oh man, why do we have to go to so many services? Why do we have, why do we have church so much? I, I really think we ought, to, we ought to consider maybe lessening that and whatever. Those, those that have been saved for a little while, the idea is what pleases God? I want to change anything in my life that doesn't bring glory to Him. Those of us that maybe have been brought up in the church, what pleases me? Why, why do I have to change that? Why can't I do that? It's not, God, what would you have? It's, what would I have? It, what, what pleases me, those that are newly saved, often it's, tell me what's next. What, what should I do now? Those that have been saved a little while, it's, why are you always telling me what to do? You see the difference in the mindset? Those that are hungry, I've got to know more about what pleases them. Those that are full, I've got to know more about what pleases me. And then lastly, from the passage, lastly, beware that you don't forget why he saved you. Why he delivered you. Notice what it says. Verse 23. Would you read verse 23 aloud? Chapter 6. Ready? Begin. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. He had a purpose for us. Notice verse 24. And the Lord commanded us. What's the big deal, kids? God commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always by the way this thing of living for God is not just for his glory but it's also good for us that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us what did he say when your kids don't understand and they've just grown up and then what's the big deal about all that remind them how bad Egypt was remind them how good God is remind them how good they have it 
it and then remind him he saved us for a reason. He has a plan for our lives. He wants us to fulfill his plan. He's got a pattern for our lives. There are principles he wants us to follow. Hey kids, he doesn't want you to serve culture. He doesn't want you to serve yourself. He wants you to serve him. Look at verse 14. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you kids. He saved us to serve him, not ourselves. He didn't save us to go where we want to go, do what we want to do, marry who we want to marry, enjoy what we want to marry, uh, enjoy. No, he brought us out to bring us in. Verse 13, it says, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. What does it mean? Your allegiance, your commitment. This is my God. This is who I serve. This is who I live. This is my, this is my guidebook. He brought us out. He saved us for a purpose. Verse 17, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes. Verse 18, and you, you shall, thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers. What did he say? He delivered us out of Egypt for a specific purpose, a specific plan, and a specific place. And you guys need to be careful because you'll forget after you've been at it for a little while, you've enjoyed some things that God gave you that you didn't earn and you didn't deserve, you'll forget God saved you for a reason, to serve him, to swear by his name, to follow his word, to do what he commanded. The life of a Christian is not about me or my desires or you or your desires or our plans. It's all about him and his word and his will. Second generation Christian, first generation Christian's been saved for a while, fifth generation Christian, let him use you. Say yes to him. Please him with your lives. He saved us to serve him, not ourselves. He brought us out of Egypt for Canaan, not the wilderness. The danger of second generation Christianity, they never saw Egypt. They don't remember. They don't realize how different their lives could be. We don't recognize all that God has done for us and our family. It's not their fault, but it is a real danger. And he said, as I'm getting another generation ready, when you get ready to go here, beware. Beware of what? Lest thou forget the Lord. You can study the statistics in America of those that grew up in the church and how many of them walk away from the church after graduation or their high school years. How does that happen? We don't understand the danger. Beware. Lest thou forget the Lord thy God. How he brought you out. Do you find yourself there tonight? Church member, Christian, have you forgotten how good God is? You focused on what he hasn't done for you or given you rather than all that he has? Have you forgotten how bad Egypt was? Like the Israelites, when they got to the Red Sea, they started crying for Egypt again. You've come to a place in your life that's not real easy and you're starting to think, is it really worth it to live for God? You're looking back to Egypt. Second generation Christian, have you forgotten parents? Have you shared how bad Egypt was? And I'm not talking about obviously age appropriate and there might be some things that's not wise to share, but have you reminded them of the goodness and the grace of God in delivering you? Have we forgotten how good we have it? What did we talk about last week? Rejoice, he brought us out with a mighty hand. Some second generation Christians, they, they say things or they think things like you grew up in the church your whole life and you think things, I wish I had a great testimony. 
And we might hear somebody, I'm thankful for, for great testimonies. We hear somebody that, that grew up and, and, and they were homeless as a teenager and they got addicted to crack and they spent time in jail and they murdered 10 people and they did all these things and God delivered them out of jail and God, they got saved and they come up and they share these stories and we think, that's amazing. Wow, what a God we serve that he could save that drunk. May I just say this? Look at all the things he saved them from. May I say this? It's just as great of a testimony what God kept you from as it is what he saved you from. It takes just as much grace to keep you from all of that sin and heartache as it does to save him from all that sin and heartache. And sometimes we look and say, I I need to just go do some stuff so that I can kind of actually experience the grace of God. Oh no, it's the grace of God that you don't struggle with that addiction as a teenager. It's the grace of God that you've never seen your mom uh, swear at your dad or your dad hit your mom. It's the grace of God that you get get to go to Sunday school every week. It's the grace of God that that your mom or dad doesn't stumble in drunk every night and you have to wonder, is is he going to beat me up or beat my kids up? It's the grace of God that you haven't had to go through those things. And by the way, if you are going through those things or you have been through those things that's not an excuse not to live for God but what I'm saying is to those that feel like I don't have this great testimony oh yes you do it's a great testimony of what God kept you from just like it's a great testimony of what God saved him from the grace of God in our lives if we've been saved is great it's miraculous have you forgotten how good God is how bad Egypt was how good we have it and why he saved us He saved you to serve him, not yourself. He didn't save you to have as much fun as you could and enjoy the the fun stuff at church for a few years and then go live your life. No, he saved you that you would swear by his name for a lifetime. He saved you, and some of us need to make a commitment today and, and, and tell God, I'm sorry for what I've forgotten. Because when you've been enjoying his blessings for a while, the danger is beware. Twice he said it, beware. Beware lest thou forget it's easy to forget who he is what he's done where he's brought us from and why he's delivered us to serve him and to swear by his name hey for all of us that are second generation christians uh we need to take the time just like pastor thompson said to evaluate our own lives and to see the areas where we are allowing ourselves to slip away from what would be uh, upright or what would be considered a righteous lifestyle. It is easy for us to lose sight of the things that our family members or uh, past generations have come through in order to reach the point where we are. Um, And so it's important for us as Christians to really dig in and get to know God, to build a relationship with him, as well as deepening our perspective of the past and understanding why certain things have been done away with. It would do us well to learn to appreciate the steps that have been taken in the past in order to protect us for our future. Um, Beware lest ye forget. I love that phrase. And we've got to be careful so that we do not forget what God has brought us through, what God has brought our family members through, um, and, and helped get us to the point that we are in our Christian walk. Well, I hope that sermon was a help to you. We've got three more parts in this series, and I hope you've been enjoying it as much as I have. I know it's been a big blessing to me. 
I know a lot of the listeners on our podcast are second-generation Christians. Um, and so even if you are not a second-generation Christian, I hope you're using these sermons to reflect and build upon your own life. You know, someday you'll probably have children if you don't already. Um, and these are things that you need to learn so that you can teach them. You know, the truth of the message is that we're supposed to pass these things down onto our children. Um, and so in some cases, maybe our parents haven't done a good job of that. And we're at a place in our life where we're learning these things for ourselves. Um, but we also have a responsibility, if not now, in, in a few years, uh, when we'll need to pass these things down onto our children. And so um, I hope that'll be your prayer as you listen to these sermons and prepping uh, the next generation and helping prepare them for what's to come. Well, God bless you, and we appreciate you for tuning in.